and welcome to the latest edition of Underwritten, the ABI podcast. And this week we've got an, a mental health and insurance special. And I'm joined by Raluca Amura, the Head of Health and Protection at the ABI. Raluca, welcome. Hello, Anthony. Welcome. Um, this, is, this podcast comes on the back of an event we held in the beginning of November on mental health and insurance and uh, featured indeed uh, the Penny Mordaunt, the Minister for Disabled People, who we'll be speaking to later. But first of all, Raluca, it was the uh, first event that we've done on mental health at the ABI. Why is the ABI looking at this issue now and why have we got uh, an event on this at the ABI? Insurers have been helping people with mental ill health for a very long time now, and they have a proven track record in doing so. But I think what is really important is now that we find policy solutions that bring this to the forefront of people's minds. And what we have seen recently is a greater increase in in the... um, focus um, that society has on mental health, the impact that it has on individuals and businesses and society as a whole. And this event was indeed very timely because we've seen the independent review into um, mental health and employers being published um, a week before our event. So the Stevenson Pharma review that was commissioned by the Prime Minister earlier this year. And, you know, for those who might think insurance, mental health, why are we talking about those two in the same sentence? What is the main role insurers pay in helping people who are suffering from mental health uh, in society? Both health and protection insurers offer a range of support for individuals. Um, First of all, it's about the preventative element. Just like with physical health, insurers play a significant role in helping to prevent any kind of ill health, physical or mental. So whether we're talking about prevention strategies um, that they can do either with the individuals direct or through their employer if it is a group scheme. And then I think what is absolutely key is about the early intervention stages. So when someone is already starting not to feel quite right, they're not necessarily suffering significantly yet, but something is just not quite right, that's the first step when they would intervene and put in place strategies to help that individual. And then it's, of course, for the more severe cases, the, the, the bigger interventions um, as well. And I think it's really important to know that for mental health, a lot of these conditions are fluctuating. So what we need to see is support that happens throughout the lifetime of someone who is in work. Thanks. And as I said earlier, I spoke to Penny Morden, who is the Minister for Disabled People at the Department for Work and Pensions. And uh, let's have a listen to what she had to say about mental health and insurance. Uh, so I'm here today with the Minister for Disabled People, uh, Penny Morden. Uh, you've given a speech today to the ABI Mental Health Conference. Can, can you summarise what you said today? Well, we very much see this as uh, the national challenge uh, facing us in the in the coming years. And it's also a massive opportunity for us to tap into those people that currently aren't being supported well enough uh, to get into work or remain in work because they have a disability or they have a health condition. And the insurance sector is absolutely key to helping us 
provide that support. Um, I've been talking today about group income protection and individual uh, income protection, which we see as a, an area we do want to explore going forward. But I've also touched on the other barriers that disabled people face, uh, getting insurance for travel and so forth, um, that really we need to also tackle the consumer agenda, I suppose, uh, for disabled people. Because unless we're tackling all those barriers, uh, we're not going to be supporting those people to really thrive and reach their full potential. And what do you see then as the key challenges to tackle as we ensure the best support possible for those with mental health? I think it's incredibly important that we share good practice between businesses. Um, I've been talking about the Disability Confidence Scheme today, which is really about businesses sharing their expertise of setting up mental health networks, of really supporting good mental health in the workplace and helping other businesses who are just starting on that journey to really learn from their experiences. Uh, we need to do this really quickly. Um, there's a huge amount of untapped talent out there, um, enormous numbers of people falling out of work each quarter uh, because they have a mental health uh, condition or a uh, health condition where they're not getting uh, the support that they need. We have a big opportunity with the Health and Work Roadmap that's about to be published, uh, looking at welfare reform, looking at improving healthcare, but also critically, what more can we do to support employers? Uh, those are the three settings that we're really focused on, and I think there are massive opportunities to be seized. It's a really exciting time. Penny Morden, thank you very much. As we heard there, Raluca, you know, quite a positive statement about from Penny Morden there about um, the role of group income protection and income protection insurance. How do we keep up the momentum that we built on this to make sure that remains at the heart of government policy going forward? We are very pleased to see recognition about the income protection results in the green paper that was published by the government late last year. But I think you're absolutely right. It's about keeping the momentum in an area that is incredibly important to everyone. I think the most important thing is to see what comes out of the roadmap that the minister has just mentioned. We put a lot of hope that there will be a lot of tangible proposals there that we can engage with, and we hope that insurance role will be clearly signposted there as well. For our part, what we do as the ABI is really to take forward some of the policy proposals that we have put forward in our response to the Green Paper. And one of the things that Penny Mordant herself has um, referenced during her speech at the event is around the protection statements. So we're, we're working now with um, a research company to try to create a prototype online statement that each employer can provide their individual employees that outlines clearly what sick pay they would get from the state and from the employer so they can make an informed decision whether their level of safety net is sufficient or not. And we think this would trigger the right level of conversations on the ground as well as at policy level. Some potentially significant steps forward that could be made there. Um, the other perspective here, as well as kind of the government perspective, is obviously the insurer perspective on this. And for that, we spoke to Dr. Chris Ball, uh, who is a mental health expert at Genry. Let's listen to what he had to say now. Okay, hi, I'm joined by Dr. Chris Ball, who's a consultant psychiatrist with Genry. Um, Chris, uh, thanks for speaking at our panel session this morning. It was a really useful session. Um, you wrote a blog for us recently that looked, talked about uh, sickness absence and health in the workplace. Um, talked about some of the some of the trends around that. Do you want to talk us through kind of the state of play around around those uh, those issues? Uh, yes, I, I think it's a, a slightly complicated picture, and, and depends where you go and what what you look at. If you go to some of the official 
figures around sickness absence, they look very good. And it's the lowest it's been for 20 odd years, if, if not more, or since its figures began. But behind that, if you then look at uh, what people are saying about their work and stress and the numbers who are stressed by their work, there's a very different kind of tale to tell. So there's this kind of flips and trying to understand why there are those, those, those kind of differences and why people are now feeling their work is very stressful, but actually in terms of absences, it looks, it actually, on the first sense, you look very good and you say that's fine. Yeah. And you pack up and you go home, but actually, it's probably not. And then the Stevenson report clearly, with this 300,000 people leaving work because of mental ill health uh, each year, just really brings it home to what, what the reality of those, those kind of situations uh, actually is. Okay, great, thanks. Another thing I wanted to pick up on that you mentioned earlier you were talking about uh, you know, mental health not necessarily uh, fitting the, with the model. Uh, of insurers and, and what, what insurers do, and maybe talk a bit more about what insurers could do to maybe better accommodate mental health in some of their models. Uh, yeah, I, it, there's there's a number of sort of different areas where it looks like. I mean, there, there are the underwriting and the pricing sort of issues where it's nice to have something discreet and. If you've had a heart attack, you can measure the troponin and we'll pay when the troponin's X. And that's lovely and it's clear and beautiful and, and everybody can be very high. And there are huge studies and they're up to date and, and, and that's, that's great. And that sort of thing probably isn't around in mental health in the same kind of way. So people fluctuate, people get better, they get worse, people relapse under certain circumstances. So that doesn't kind of fit in quite the same way. So you've got to be thinking a little different at those, some of those pricing and uh, areas to understand those and understand a little bit more about what's the narrative for that person and uh, how you collect information at underwriting stage, for example. How's that going to fit into a, a new kind of paradigm of smartphone use? What can you get? Who's got the information you need? And we, we're often going back to GPs, for example. And that's somehow the touchstone. But they aren't really recording the kind of stuff that would fit beautifully into that medical model that the, uh, the insurers want to lay. I mean, there's a lot of tutting going on. But actually, they're on a hiding to nothing. You know, they have not enough time. They don't uh, have very much sort of occupational health training within that. Um, and their, their options are very limited. So I have great sympathies with, with, with them for, for, for that, that kind of point of view. So there is something about trusting more your, your applicant or your claimant around some of those things, which, is, which isn't necessarily a traditional um, insurance way. Um, there's always a worry about subjective claims or subjective experiences and how you manage those. But you can, you can do more to look at those and look at those a bit more objectively using scales and ratings and so forth if you want to. Um, but also looking at roles and how people fit into that sort of psychosocial model and what's it stopping people doing and how they're functioning. So there's quite a lot you can kind of do around those areas. And I guess the other is that we were hearing quite a lot today from the group providers who, who um, and I accused of not making enough of this, <laughs> do do some fantastic work around early intervention, working with employers and so forth to get people into work and to return people to work and ensure well-being is within that workplace. 
Brilliant. Thank you for thank you for your time, Dr. Chris Paul. Thanks. So some interesting insights there from the insurer perspective, um, particularly on how insurers tackle mental health more broadly. Um, where do you think the what do you think the future holds in that regard? I think insurers understand mental health much more now than they did decades ago, just like the medical profession does, just like society does. And I think although significant progress has been made by all corners of society in this respect, absolutely every stakeholder has to up its game and that understanding needs to continue to grow. So I think insurers are on a journey, for lack of a better phrase. They've, um, they're understanding more and more what mental health and what mental ill health means. And I think we've seen that both in terms of the support that they can put in place at, at claim stage, as well as the way in which they treat mental conditions at underwriting stage, which is now the mental conditions are treated in the same way as physical conditions are. So I think we've seen some significant improvements, and this is, trend is likely to continue in the months and years to come. Luca, that, that was thank you very much for that. I think we've got some interesting insights there about the way uh, mental health, as you've said, is moving up the agenda and the progress that's been made. Obviously, there's a lot more progress to come, uh, and let's look forward to seeing that. Um, so thank you very much for your time, and uh, that that's it for this, this week. And uh, as I said, before on the podcast if you have any ideas or would like to contact us you can do so at podcast.abi.org.uk that's podcast.abi.org.uk but uh from me it's goodbye and from reluca goodbye